I'm going to read out of Judges, chapter 4, 1 through 16, from the New Living Translation. And uh, I did the no-no that we tell our readers and didn't practice in advance, and then I realized that there's all kinds of different names in here, so I'll just pretend I'm reading Korean, and then it'll probably go okay. Um, after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israel for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Haber, the Ken Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zenanin near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way down to Harosheth Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left behind, left alive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Renew. How is everyone this morning? Good? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, my family, we've been full leaning into the summer spirit, so free schedules and um, not a lot of, of hard thought. And if you're anything like us, I thought maybe we should start off this morning making sure your minds are sharp with a riddle. All right? 
And just to take a little bit of the pressure off, I actually have a video, and we can watch some other people try to solve this rid riddle. And you can play along and see if, uh, if maybe you beat these folks to the answer of the riddle. Are you ready? Do you guys have the video for us? As part of an experiment to explore the human mind, we asked 22 people to solve the same riddle and recorded their responses. Feel free to participate also. Are you ready? Um. <laughs> the riddle. A father is about to bring his son to a job interview, applying for a position at a large stockbroker's company in the city. Just as they arrive at the company's parking lot, the son's phone rings. He looks at his father, who says, go ahead, answer it. The caller is the trading company CEO, who says, good luck, son, you've got this. The son ends the call and once again looks at his father, who is still next to him in their car. How is this possible? You get a call from the CEO, uh, but it says... Good luck, he son. But he was next CEO. to him. So it's not the father. Uh, but it says... I think it was Good probably luck, an audio recording of his father. Maybe he made an... Uh, a demo tape? Like, is, like he has two fathers? This is a hot one. Maybe it's a word a joke, tape? like it's the grandfather like he has two fathers? of the son. This is a hot one. No, I think Maybe his name is Son. Maybe it's just son. like an old man, no, you know, calling a younger guy Son. I don't know. I have no Maybe idea. Just like an old man, you know, calling a younger guy the Son. The answer. I have no it's idea. It's his mother. Ah! Oh, the that's answer. oh, that's so stupid. Yes, of it's course. His ah. Ah. Oh, that's, I should have oh, thought of that. So yes. yes of the course. CEO ah. is a woman. So I'm I'm biased. I should have thought of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the CEO is so this a about woman. diversity and inclusion. So I'm I'm biased. It's really mind blowing, actually. <laughs> I always thought that this is about diversity and inclusion. Uh, I'm not as. <laughs> All right. Did anybody get it? Were you a step ahead? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe you were familiar with a riddle similar to this one. For a while, there was a really popular riddle about a man and his son in the car. They get in a car accident, and the man dies on the scene. And the son is rushed into surgery at the hospital. And the surgeon comes in and says, I can't operate. This boy is my son. How is that possible? And that riddle tricked a lot of people. Of course, the answer was the surgeon was his mother. But that riddle definitely was one that made the rounds for years and years as a really tricky puzzle to solve. And I think it's pretty clear that we have a lot of gender biases when it comes to jobs, careers, skill sets, that sort of thing. My own family is not immune to this. Uh, hopefully this doesn't embarrass my oldest son. I did not get his permission for this, but he's 15 now. But when he was in fifth grade, okay, he was, he was little, okay. When he was in fifth grade, we were at the local elementary school and my husband and I homeschool our kids. So we were visiting the school office and he was uh, gonna receive some services there. He met the principal. The principal walked into the office and they had a little conversation and then the principal left and Henry got a really puzzled look on his face and he said, mom, who, who was that? That was the principal. That was the principal of the school, Henry. And he was really confused and he said, I, I didn't know principals could be women. And I, oh, I 
was so mortified. <laughs> I looked around real quick, wondering if anybody had heard. I was really glad that he kept his voice down. And I was just thinking to myself, how, how did he get that idea? Where did that even come from? Right? But I think it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty common misconception that there are going to be certain roles for each gender. And studies show that, you know, there's been lots of studies that show that the exact same resume, if it says Jennifer or John, will receive different response. John will get more STEM-type job offers, higher salaries, and Jennifer won't. There was a study that I watched preparing for this morning that really spoke to me. It was a group of actors sitting around a boardroom table as executives, and the female actress was playing the role of a very passionate, opinionated executive. She was assertive, she had really bold ideas, she jumped into the conversation with her ideas, and she was quite passionate. And a focus group watched the recording and they were asked, what did you think of that woman? And the focus group said, we did not like her. She was emotional, and, uh, and pushy. And then, of course, the research study was to refilm the entire script, the boardroom scene again, this time with a man in the role of the really passionate executive. And he was reading from the exact same script. It was the same idea, the same choice of words, the same energy. And a focus group was asked, what did you think of that man? And they said, what a confident leader. I would follow him, he knows what he's talking about, he's got bold ideas. And so whether we want to admit it or not, and whether it's the case you think in your life or not, the truth of the matter is our society has some pretty big gender bias when it comes to how we think men should behave and how we think women should behave. So when Pastor Dave invited me to speak during the Taking Another Look at Women in the Bible series, Deborah immediately jumped to my mind because in Deborah, we have this picture of a godly, obedient woman who's acting in ways that often are attributed to men, right? So let's take a look at what's happening here in our scripture this morning. We have the Israelites stuck in their pattern. They rebel, they cry out for help, and they're delivered through the hands of a judge, and then they rebel again. And we have this cycle on repeat. And Deborah is the fourth judge right now as part of this cycle. We're told in Judges 2 that judges are appointed by God. So we know that Deborah is ordained to this position by God. This is her God-given position. She holds court in a public place. Our scripture tells us that the Israelites are coming to her. She's not chasing people down. She's, she's not meddling in people's business. She's holding court in a public place. She's well respected. She's sought out. We're told she's the wife of Lapidoth. And this one I find very interesting. That's the kind of phrase we might blow right past when we're reading our, our scripture. Seems like just a reference to her husband. However, Rabbinic tradition actually holds that that's not so much a reference to her husband as her, as her role. Lapidoth means flame. So in rabbinic tradition, wife of Lapidoth is a nod to the fact that they held that Deborah was in charge of lighting the torches at the tabernacle. That was her role, lighting the torches at the tabernacle. And still others think that that's a reference to her character, that she's a fiery, spirited woman. 
Whichever is the case, regardless, we do see that she is respected. She is sought out for counsel. She is a prophet. She has God speaking through her and a respected judge. So, we have the Israelites being oppressed by the Canaanites. And this had been going on for years, but what was likely the tipping point is the Canaanites now have iron chariots, 900 iron chariots. And we can think of those like state-of-the-art tanks. And what went from a, what was a bad situation just turned to really dire. This is going downhill very, very fast. And the Israelites cry out for help, and Deborah acts swiftly, obedient to the Lord. She calls for Barak, and she tells Barak what God's instructions are. Now, maybe you can anticipate where I'm going to go with some of this, right? I kind of started us off being prepared to have to, to examine our gender biases, what men are supposed to do, what women are supposed to do. And here we have Deborah giving instruction to Barack. And I don't know that we take enough time to pause on passages of scripture like this, because this is absolutely part of God's ordained plan. They're not stepping outside of his will here. We see Barak respond by seeming maybe a little nervous. He says, I will go, but only if you go with me. And often in Christian circles, I know I've been taught this, I don't know if you have, but often he gets a reputation for being a bit of a failure. He's a coward. He didn't want to go. Men are supposed to be warriors. Why is he showing trepidation and hesitation? I think what that interpretation misses, however, is that we see in Judges 5, in Deborah's song of celebration about this victory, Barak is very much a part of that. And in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews includes Barak in the Hall of Faith, the list of faithful men. In Hebrews 11, Barak is on that list. So I think a bigger look at scripture does not paint Barak as a failure. In fact, a very, very faithful man who was part of this victory. And there's a real, a real possible explanation for the fact that he's maybe a little nervous and says, Deborah, come with. He knows that God is present with Deborah. She is speaking the word of God right now. So what an act of faith to say, I'm a little nervous, but... I, I want God with me in this battle. So Deborah, maybe you could come with, and then I'll know God is present with me in this battle. And we have an example there of an instance where sometimes if scripture is taught through the lens of our preconceived cultural gender bias, we might miss the mark, right? We might label Barack as a failure when he's not. He's a man of faith. So it kind of makes me wonder. Okay, so we see, so we see Deborah, she does go. Okay, she is, she's bold, she's brave, she goes. And the Canaanites are conquered. And she does make the reference, I guess I should note, she does make the reference that the, the honor would go to a woman. That's likely a reference if you read ahead to JL, who ultimately is the one who takes uh, um, the leader down, Cicero down. Okay. But in any case, the Canaanites are conquered. The Lord has delivered the Israelites yet again, and Deborah 
shows herself to be a, a military leader, an instrument of God. She's giving instruction. She's a pretty powerful woman. All in obedience to the Lord. So with people like Deborah as examples for us in scripture, it makes me wonder why do we still find ourselves in the trap of thinking men should behave in the macho, masculine, tough way and women should be soft and kind and meek. Why do we still get stuck in that? And it's not, it's not just in Christian circles. This is societal. I know you guys know that. I might date myself a little here, but is anyone familiar with men are from Mars, women are from Venus? I'm going to grab my water real fast. Yes? Okay, if you're not, this is, I guess this is how I date myself. I was a teenager in the 90s, and uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus was a very popular book in the 1990s. It was, in fact, it held the record as uh, the top-selling nonfiction book of the decade, of the decade. And it held its own on the bestsellers list for 121 weeks. So we're talking, we're talking years of this book being a bestseller, years of people consuming this book. And if you're not familiar, the general premise of men are from Mars, women are from Venus, is that men are built a certain way and women are built a different certain way. And it's only when we really understand and accept the other for how they're built that we'll be able to work together. And some of the concepts of how men are built is that every man, the premise of this book says, wants to be a rescuer of a maiden. That's what he wants deep down. And every woman deep down wants to be a maiden who's rescued. And that's how we're built and we need to just accept it. And that's one of the, the primary premises of this book. Every man is going to be assertive, the book says he, that men don't like to give unless they know there'll be a reward. So it very much paints men as decision makers, prideful, <laughs> women as needing to be soft, wanting to be rescued, wanting to be cared for, submissive. We talked about this a little last, last week, right? And it's not just through books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. We see these, these kinds of gender stereotypes everywhere. I titled the sermon Sugar and Spice and Everything Nice. We started in early age saying, hey, you're having a girl, great. Won't she just be so sweet? Let's, let's do soft, get soft cuddly toys for her. And on the other hand, we often say, oh, you're having a boy. Oh, he'll be rough and tumble. Let's get some trucks for that boy. We do it early, right? And in Christian circles, sometimes we filter scripture, or the church sometimes will filter scripture through that lens. I'm sure that if my sisters in this room have been churchgoers for a while, especially here in the States, you've been taught about the Proverbs 31 woman. Right? I'm gonna, I see some nods. I don't know if the men are as familiar. Men, have you heard about the Proverbs 31 woman? I see some nods. Okay. Often the Proverbs 31 woman provides a almost sort of checklist of what a godly woman is supposed to be. She's the Proverbs 31 woman and here's her checklist. And while that scripture is a beautiful passage in Proverbs, I think we'd be remiss to not notice that the way it gets framed has part of 
have that gender bias. I did a quick Google search for the visual representations that get put with Proverbs 31 verses and some of the most common verses from that chapter that we as ladies see often on our journal covers and uh, the, the brochure for the women's retreat. So I wanted, if, the, if we could pull up the first slide, I wanted to look at some of these to show you what I mean. Okay, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her, Proverbs 31, 28. And the next one. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness, Proverbs 31, 26. And the last one. She is clothed with strength and dignity and laughs at the days to come. And if you guys want to leave that one up for just a minute. Did anybody notice all the flowers? <laughs> There's a lot of flowers. The Proverbs 31 woman must really love flowers. Am I right? Am I right? And this one I find especially amusing because I understand that the clothes hanger is a reference to being clothed with strength and dignity, but I wondered, where's the suit of armor? Why do we not take a, a scripture that says that she is clothed with strength and put it with a suit of armor? I looked through Google image search. I just wanted to see, did anybody do that? Did anybody put a suit of armor with this verse? No. I mean, page 9 of the search, page 10 of the search, page 11 of the search. This verse has been widely illustrated. There are no suits of armor. No, just flowers. And to be clear, Proverbs 31 also says, she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. That's verse 18. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. That's verse 16. So Proverbs 31 does absolutely paint this woman as a shrewd businesswoman, as a financial provider, as an organized, intentional CEO. And yet, very often, we get the flowers, we get the word kindness being the biggest on the page, we get a reference to her, her role as a wife and mother. And men, I think it's fair to say, you often get the suit of armor. Am I right? A lot of men's groups, it's the sword, it's the, the imagery of war and battle. Am I right, men? I don't know, I don't go, I don't go to the men's groups, but it looks like that, right? Sometimes, often, maybe? That's all, we do. That's all you do, okay. <laughs> but when we have Deborah as an example for us that, that women can go into battle, that women can be military strategists. When we have Proverbs 31 telling us that women can be shrewd businesswomen and financial providers, why do we hold so tightly to the idea that you have to fit in this masculine column or this feminine column when you're being obedient to God? That's not, that's not the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends, the Holy Spirit descends on men and women. The Holy Spirit does not 
put all the men on one side of the room and all the women on the other side of the room and say, okay, well, here's all the masculine gifts I'm going to give and here's all the feminine gifts I'm going to give. That's not happening here. Any gift we have is from God anyway. When we are, are being bold in the spirit, that's the spirit working through us when we're being kind in the spirit. That's the spirit working through us. Right? And the spirit is not going to say, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're a man? Okay, well then I'm not going to give you the fruit of kindness. You're not, you're not, you're not one who's going to have the gifts of patience. You're not going to have a nurturing spirit because you're a man. And over on this side, oh, you're a woman. Okay, well, all right, nurturing, kindness, soft, caring, patient, but not any of the courage. Am I right? That's not part of scripture. That's not what the word teaches us. That's not in line with God's character. That's not in line with our kingdom work our collaborative kingdom work. The Holy Spirit descended and leveled the playing field. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is I want to encourage my brothers in this room that if God has given you a nurturing, peace-loving, caring, soft spirit, Lean in to that. Lean into that. That is of God. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Lean in. If you are being obedient to the Lord, then you'll use the gifts he's given you. They don't have to fit in a societal gender category that says that's not masculine. And sisters, if God has given you gifts of discernment, if God has given you the gift of being bold and a truth speaker, then be obedient to God. Be obedient to the gifts he's given you, to the call he's placed on your life. And try not to worry about whether or not society calls that feminine. Because that's not of God. Being obedient to the Lord, that's the goal. That's what we should all be striving for. That's how we're going to work together as part of the, part of the collaborative kingdom work we've been called to. Amen? Together, I just want us to remember that each and every one of us is called to be a kingdom builder with the gifts that God has given us, regardless of what societal gender category that may or may not fit. It's our job to be obedient, to foster all of those gifts in us. Are you willing to do that with me in the days and weeks to come? And as a community, I'd love for us to encourage that in one another. I'd love for my brothers in this room to know being nurturing, being a caretaker, it's a beautiful thing. You are a masculine man. And sisters, being bold, speaking wisdom, you are a feminine woman. Amen? Okay. <laughs> well, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much 
I thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit that has allowed each of us to be your hands and feet on this earth. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us every moment, every day. I ask you, God, to erase the notion in our mind that there are some gifts that are off limit to us, some work that's off limits to us. Lord, help us to be obedient to where you call. Help us to lean in to your voice, to your will. We love you and we praise you. Amen.